This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So there's probably not a more controversial topic than black bear hunting. Actually, you can elevate it by having a first black bear hunting season ever. That's what the state of Missouri did last year. And I wanted to understand why. I wanted to understand if they truly had the science to justify having a hunt. So I invited Jason Sumners, the chief of the science division of the Missouri Game and Fish Commission, as well as Laura Connolly, who was at the time the bear biologist or fur bearer biologist of the department, to have a straightforward conversation about the ins and outs of the very first regulated Missouri black bear season. This is a fascinating conversation. File away in the back of your brain the seeds that came from this because you will need it in interacting with non-hunters and anti-hunters about black bear management, specifically in the state of Missouri. All right, so there's a controversial idea in the state of Missouri, that is this, 
that you, the state of Missouri biologists, Jason, I apologize for calling you a biologist. You're much more than a biologist. And Laura, you're also much more than a biologist after today. Um, that you guys do not have a sustainable black bear population. And as such, you should not be hunting these animals. Laura, true or not true? Not true. Not true at all. So, so we've done extensive research of the black bear population in Missouri. And, you know, I've worked elsewhere. I work with a variety of other biologists elsewhere on on similar issues and the same thing. And, and um, the research project that we have here is is an extensive project. It is a very well thought out project. And um, that project was directly used to help inform those management decisions. So, you know, we estimate our bear population to be around 800 bears and we are going to call that a population estimate because that's what it is. We don't have the ability to go out and know exactly how many bears, which traverse long areas and things like that, are within the state at any given time. But we can use the information that we've collected through this extensive research project to really understand how that population is growing and also look at what the impacts of harvest would be on that population. So it's not just about estimating how many bears we have, but also understanding what that additional mortality related to harvest does to growth rates and things like that, and using that to make really informed decisions in terms of harvest quota and permit quotas. So not only is our bear population growing and expanding, uh, but this harvest is most certainly sustainable. So this idea of sustainability, actually, before I, I because I will take you down the rabbit hole very, very quickly. And everyone's going to be like, Robbie, you do this all the time. You start having these conversations. You don't even introduce the people that you're having a conversation with. Uh, so you just heard from Laura Conley. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Now, Laura, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and who you work for. Sure. So I am the fur bear and black bear biologist for the Missouri Department of Conservation. So my primary role here is really um, understanding populations, fur bear and bear populations within the state, um, guiding research and management of those species, and then using that research to help inform those management decisions. So, so I work with bears, I work with our other fur bear species, so coyotes and fox and raccoons and things like that. Um, and I have been doing this similar position elsewhere. So I've been working with bears for the better part of a decade at this point. Um, and, and really, utilize that research and that monitoring to help make those informed decisions. Awesome. Jason Summoners. Robbie, thanks for having us. Uh, quick introduction. I'm, I, I serve the agency Department of Conservation as our science branch chief. And that's a fancy way of saying I get to supervise the great biologists and scientists that we have in the agency. Like I call it, I call the position like that because I'm in a similar position, chief bullshit position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to take credit for all the great work they do. Um, yeah, and uh, but try to facilitate making sure that their recommendations end up in in good regulations that get presented to our commission. So, so folks like our waterfowl biologists, our deer biologists, our turkey biologists, Laura's position, and others 
um, social science group. We also use social science as a really important part of the way we inform our regulation recommendations. And I think really sets us apart from, from another number of agencies in terms of the amount of energy we invest in using social science to, to really get at what drives public opinion and what our stakeholders think about um, the decisions we, we make. Awesome. Well, the reason I'm talking to both of you is that uh, Missouri, for the first time this year, undertook its first black bear hunt in how long? Laura, has Missouri ever had a black bear hunt? This is our first regulated season. So while bears were harvested historically, that was prior to the establishment of the commission and things like that. So, so this really is our very first regulated season here in the state of Missouri. And, and, and how, you know, again, I understand why the Humane Society and APEDA and all the rest of them, Center for Biological Diversity, would cry foul of this idea of a hunt for a predator, carnivore, black bear, super cuddly, super cute. But it is undoubtedly ranks up there with one of the best conservation success stories in the United States. Absolutely. Jason, that came overnight, right? No, it didn't come overnight. Our our bear history really connects back to the reintroductions and restoration work that was done in Arkansas. You know, so one of the things that folks, you know, don't truly appreciate about the Missouri bear population is that it really um, is a result of successful conservation actions in Arkansas. While we think there may have still been maybe some small isolated remnant populations in Missouri, um, you know, our bear population is largely connected to what's happened in Arkansas and and much of Oklahoma, right? So a lot of Oklahoma's, you know, growing bear population can be attributed to the westward expansion of, of what we kind of commonly refer to as kind of an Ozark Highland bear population. Um, so we certainly aren't an island of, of as Laura indicated, maybe 800 bears in Missouri, it's really part of this larger, more connected population that, that we've seen growing since, frankly, the 1980s, uh, when a lot of that restoration work began. Jason, so you guys have never transplanted a black bear into Missouri? No, no, we, we, we've never translocated bears. All of our bears are truly the expansion and growth of the Arkansas bear population that's been hunted for, what, the better part of 30 or 40 years. And so that rapid expansion is pushed into Missouri. And, and so we've seen, you know, the, the most significant growth along the Missouri-Arkansas border and then on into the eastern part of, of the Ozarks in Missouri. Laura, what do you think the total bear population is of that Ozark Highland um, sort of group? Yeah, so when we look at the three states, you know, we we kind of go about 8,000 bears with the estimates from Arkansas, with the estimates from Oklahoma, and with the estimates from Missouri. But the one thing to keep in mind, too, all three states are still seeing growth in that in those bear populations. And so this bear population as a whole is growing and expanding. And that's one of the things when we think about the bears here in Missouri. So while a lot of that growth is occurring, you know, along that Missouri-Arkansas border, one of the things that's coupled with population growth is this range expansion that we're seeing here also. And, and that range expansion um, is probably one of the more noticeable things for folks within the state, because now all of a sudden, 
every year bears show up in areas where it's just new to them and they're just not used to it. And I mean, and, and when we talk about areas where this is new, we're talking about the St. Louis suburbs and Lake wow, of the Ozarks and, and central Missouri. And, and that is going to continue to increase. And the one thing when we look at these three states and, and, you know, in particular, my area of expertise is going to be the state of Missouri. When we look at the habitat here, we have a ton of great bear habitat and it's very connected. And that's a testament to the conservation ethic here in the state that we have these healthy forest systems that can sustain this growing bear population. But one of the challenges with that is some of that connectivity leads to some of our more suburban and urban parts of the state. And so we're really at kind of the beginning wave of that. And it's one of those things that makes the growth of this population so much more visible to folks, especially if you don't come down to the southern part of the state, you don't camp, you know, bears live at low densities here, you talk to a lot of people, and they'll say they've never seen a bear. And, and they're right, you know, that's just how bears occur on the landscape. Mm -hmm. But then we get a bear up a tree in a subdivision or a bear that, you know, starts wandering around and generates a ton of reports. And, and the reality is that's, that's really going to continue as this population continues to grow. And I think it'll become even more apparent that Missouri is bear country. And for many people, that's something that we need to start getting used to. Yeah, Laura raises a good point. That's one of our biggest communication challenges right now is to get to get folks to think about the Missouri Ozarks and even quite honestly, parts of central Missouri as being bear country and, and that they're here and, and their populations are, are expanding and growing pretty rapidly. And so she's right. They pop up in different places. We, we literally have bears from Joplin in Southwest Missouri to St. Louis. Hmm. Have you noticed a, and let me also two part question. Have you noticed an increase in human wildlife conflict and two, is it documented? Yes, and yes. So we have seen a growth in human bear interaction. So we classify all the sighting reports that we get based on the type of report. So so the one thing that is very good for us here, the, the rate of that conflict is still quite low. And so, so the majority of reports that we get regarding bears are simply just sightings. They are, you know, a trail camera photo or somebody saw a bear cross the right. road and things like that. But within those reports, we do see see an increasing trend in the number of, of human bear interactions. And that could be a bear getting into bird feeders, that could be a bear getting into trash cans and, and things like that. And, and that is likely to continue to increase. And, and especially as bears move into areas where it is brand new. So, so for many folks in the southern part of the state, they've had bears for decades around mm -hmm. them. And mm -hmm. this is part of their daily life and they understand right. it. And as that bear population grows, they're pushing into areas where folks have never had to even think about what it means to put up an electric fence around beehives or something like that. So, so that's really the challenge that we see with this growing and expanding population. Mm -hmm. you know, the reason I, I say that, Jason, is this, is that one of the arguments not for Missouri's black bear season, based on what Laura, well, at least I hope it wasn't, based on what Laura just said, is that a lot of people like New Jersey, you know, one of the reasons for that hunters and hunt, the hunting community uses to justify a black bear season is this idea of human wildlife conflict mitigation. 
doesn't seem yes. like the fact in Missouri. No, n- not at all. It, you know, we have had a very aggressive uh, bearware campaign for, I, I don't know, it predates me coming to the department in 2008. They had already started to recognize that bears are going to be on the Missouri landscape. We want citizens to be aware of them, and we want them to appreciate having them on the landscape. So very early on, we've taken educational campaigns and programs to try to mitigate those those conflicts that are naturally going to arise when you have bears on the landscape. And, and, and the agency has invested significantly in staff time. I mean, Laura talked about, you know, educating folks who have beehives and cattle feed and dog food on their porches. We have a very active, you know, kind of integrated bear management program in which we've got a series of damage biologists across South Missouri that actively work with communities. Um, They're actively working with private landowners. They're actively working with, you know, the associations that govern, you know, activities that that bears kind of cause problems with Mm -hmm. um, to try to to continue to have folks appreciate having bears on the Missouri landscape. And so we've done everything we can to try to work with communities and campgrounds and all of that kind of stuff to be very proactive in terms of dealing with human bear conflicts. Cause most of the time those human bear conflicts are our activities that are encouraging right. them to come into close contact. Right, right, right. Okay. So I'm leading you down the road here because I'm about to ask you the hardest question probably of today's podcast. So if we're if we're not hunting black bears in Missouri to mitigate human wildlife conflict, why are we hunting black bears in Missouri? Yeah, so really when we think about this first bear season and 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 these subsequent seasons early on right now. Um, It's really about providing opportunity. So one of the main missions within the state of Missouri of our Department of Conservation and Conservation Commission is to be able to provide opportunity and and use sound management to manage our wildlife populations. And so, so really, that's the main objective. And all of this is guided by our bear management plan. So we have a detailed bear management plan that that we really use to help prioritize research, to help understand management actions. And when we think about that bear management plan, you know, it's really broken down into three main goals. The hunting season falls within one of those goals, and it's related to that providing opportunity and also down the road recognizing that as that population continues to grow, that we can use hunting as that primary management tool to keep bears within biological and social carrying capacities. So so that is something that is certainly part of the conversation and something that we think about. Um, But really with these seasons here, we have the ability to provide Missourians the opportunity to participate in the sustainable harvest of this and um, the number of applicants that applied and the folks that participated and 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 that I mean it it shows that there is absolutely that interest there but we would be remiss to not talk about the other components of bear management and Jason talked about the outreach and education that's the second goal of the plan I mean mm-hmm. we're not talking just a bullet point within a plan it's one of three goals to talk about that outreach right. and education and then the third goal is related to responding to and mitigating human bear conflict because because bear management in and of itself is so multifaceted and and it's not 
it's not something where you can talk about just one component of it and that's all. It's all intertwined and, and it's such a multifaceted approach. So so all of that falls within the gui- guidance of this management plan that we have. Define for me, you just you put out two different thresholds. You talked about a biological threshold and you talked about a societal acceptance threshold. Where do you think those two lie? Uh, you know, because in my brain, the societal acceptance threshold is going to way it's going to way outstrip the biological threshold as your population grows. Right. Does that, so, does right. that make so, sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when we think about you know, especially for carnivore species, that's one of those things where oftentimes the habitat can support a lot more animals than the human population is willing to tolerate is is really what it comes down to. Now, the one the one challenge that you you have with bears, they are one of those very polarizing subjects. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, complete, complete swings in, in some in some cases in terms of people's perspective on bears and their opinions on bears. Some people love the idea of having bears on the landscape. And then there's others that look at it as, you know, this is a big carnivore. This isn't something that we should be um, allowing to continue to grow and things like that. So so there's a lot of um, considerations that go into that. And so when we're when we're looking at these societal thresholds compared to those biological thresholds, you know, we're really looking at tolerance levels and um, certain measures associated with that at different regional scales. So where bear density is much higher compared to expansion areas where this is new and and knowing over the course of the next several decades, those things will shift as people Mm -hmm. become more accustomed to bears or or maybe less tolerant. Uh, And then with the biological thresholds, you know, we have a ton of forested landscape south of the Missouri River. And even north of the river here, although it gets more fragmented, there's still quite a bit of forest. So when we look at, in particular, south of the river, we have a ton of room to hold more bears. And there's a ton Mm -hmm. of available habitat. But with that comes the increasing number of bears and the increasing number of bears that then come into contact with human habitation and things like that. But the challenge with bears, one of the big things that's such a challenge with bears is they are very, very adaptable. So while we can look at bear habitat in the state of Missouri and recognize that right now our bears live at low density, they're pretty choosy. They select the highest quality, biggest tracts of forest land. But we can look to other parts of the country and recognize that bears are pretty darn adaptable. And Mm -hmm. sure, they can utilize suburban areas and little two acre woodlots and go into bird feeders and get food and things like that. So as that population continues to grow, we'll start to see that shift into more marginal habitats Mm -hmm. also. And so there's this kind of continuum as it continues to increase. Yeah. Jason, your, um, your bear biologist knows just a little bit about bears, right? Yeah. She's pretty good, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty good. I don't know why you're getting rid of her as your bear biologist. I have no <laughs> promoting idea. her, promoting her, right? <laughs> so I want to dig in a little bit because I'm obviously a scientist, and I think a lot of people uh, have questions. And 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 really, what we're doing here is we're providing opportunities for people to be informed, so that they on social media platforms and in discussions can also be, you know, well educated to be able to um, feel empowered to speak 
when someone goes, I can't believe people are, are, are black bear hunting in Missouri. So how do you know that as we started this podcast, we talked about the estimate, the population estimate of about 800 bears. How do you know that it's 800? Like, give me some of the details of how you you came to that number. And then I also want to know, because a lot of people don't understand, is when you come to an estimate, there's always this thing called of, it's, a, it's an interval. There's an interval around that number. So what yep. is that interval? Are we talking 700 to 900? Are we talking 500 to 1,200? You know, how confident are you that right. 800 is an estimate? And is it conservative? Right. So so let's start at the beginning. So we've been Sorry, studying I this. Four questions on you, but you're a, <laughs> no, you know, it seems like you know your stuff. So I'm yeah. just going to layer it onto you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 and this is something you're right. This is a common question that we get. And and it's something that we've um, tried to communicate out to folks how we've been studying this bear population. And, and so we really started the extensive research project back in 2010. And so that's kind of, you know, time zero from when we really made a concerted effort to understand how many bears we had within the state of Missouri. And so with that study, we conducted a hair snare study. It's a very common study design that's used to survey black bear populations. Um, and so with that hair snare study, we developed a population estimate of around 300 to 300. So for the layman, the layman, a okay. hair snare, yes. hair what does that snare. do and what yes. does it look like? So, so, so literally these are barbed wire corrals that we are putting out into the woods. We put a little bit of an attractant into the middle of the corral. And as the bears cross, bait. what's that? I eat bait. Yes, bait. Yes. And, and so really it's, it's a, a scent attractant or, or something that's going to be enticing enough for them to be willing to cross this fence. And so they cross into the center of that barbed wire corral. As they cross the barbed wire, the barbs collect hair, and that hair contains quality DNA. And so with that quality DNA, we can determine individual identification and then look to see how frequently we detect individual animals and how frequently we detect those individual animals elsewhere at other hair snares. And so through that collection, uh, we can get an idea of how many bears we have within this study area and then extrapolate that out to similar habitat within the state. And so, so in how looking- How big is that extrapolation? Like, are so, you working on a 500 acre scale and then extrapolating to 50,000 acres? Much larger than, so, so we started at a much larger scale than that. So, so our study area encompassed, gosh, I, don't know the number off the top of my head, Come but, on, Laura, but really? several thousand square kilometers in in the southern part of the state, and so so yeah, and and when I we say it was was it seven hundred hair snare? I mean, it was it literally was, hundreds. Yes, of it hair was snares huge out across. Yep. Yeah, a significant portion of South yep. Missouri. And, and, and conducted over the course of two years. So not just one year worth of data collection over the course of two years. And so, so with that information, 
we get to that point estimate of the population. And so that point estimate doesn't detect cubs because they typically don't leave good DNA on the hair snares when they're out. They're just a little bit too small. And so basically thinking, you know, 300 to 350 bears greater than one year old. So not including those cubs of the year. And then also recognizing that that doesn't include those wandering bears that are out within some of those expansion areas. This was really okay. focused on the core part of the state where bears had been established for okay. a long time. So a very conservative starting point to that to that initial population estimate but that's just a point estimate in time. It doesn't tell you how fast the population is growing. It doesn't give you the necessary information to model that growth into the future. And so from that study, we transitioned to a reproductive and survival study. So like you see in many other states, den checks. This is something that you know a lot of folks like to follow on social media. They're, they're very interested by it. Um, but those den checks aren't about just going and taking nice pictures with mm -hmm. a cub Holding and stuff like and that, support. right? Yeah. Right, they're, they're about counting the number of cubs understanding the sex ratios of those litters, following those cubs to the next year to see how many of them survived, understanding interbirth intervals. So bears generally reproduce every other year. That's a really important okay. interval to understand when you're looking at estimating the growth of a population. And so, so basically from 2014, up until still doing it, we've been conducting den checks on collared female bears and monitoring their survival. So for survival of the cubs and survival of the adult females. And, and so, you know, we see high survival rates of adult females. We see good cub production, with, which is very consistent with what's seen in, in many other states. But the important part is that information, that Missouri-specific information, was used to help develop a population model so that we can understand the growth of that population. So, so for a number of years, while we were doing that data collection and, and collecting all of that information, developing that model to understand that growth, folks heard us say we have about 300 to 350 bears in the state based on an estimate from 2012. So for, for many, many years, and they'd ask, well, what is it now? We're mm -hmm. in the process of collecting that information. So fast forward. Well, you're, not, you're not in the process of collecting information because you developed a number. Right. Right. And, and we were in the process of updating that number with mm -hmm. more accurate information. And, and so really, you know, come 2019, we ran that population model. We estimated between 540 and 840 bears in the state in 2019. So there's that range that you're talking about. And, and we know that with any estimate, like you said, there is a range associated with that. And, right. and, and the truth lies somewhere within, right? Yep. And yep. so we can, we can use that range to help understand the growth and inform those decisions. And, and with that model, we're able to understand that our population's growing at about 9% annually. So the doubling time is about a decade with that kind of growth rate. Um, and, and that growth rate for a recolonizing population is not out of what's been seen 
elsewhere. So, so, so all of that information fits in with what other states have seen and, um, and provides that. But, but this is where, you know, understanding how that population is growing and um, the challenges associated with various modeling techniques come into play. So, so right now we, we use that population model. We estimate around 800 bears in the state as of 2021. And the range on that is 600 to 1,000. Yeah. And as we get further away from that point estimate in time, the range gets wider. And so oh. with this type of modeling, we, we know that, that that happens with that. So we have another study that is starting this spring to basically repeat that hair snare study mm -hmm. on an even bigger scale to develop another point estimate from which we can project that growth into the future, um, but also allow us to start understanding the changes in density that we see now that we have such a growth and expansion of this population as it as it moves into new areas. You know, we know the very southern part of the state that's our highest density areas, but we don't have a means of measuring what the difference is between those areas and expansion areas. So this is one of those things that we're, we're continuing to develop how we look at this expanding bear population and how we understand um, the expansion of this bear population using data specifically sure. collected here. Jason, would it be a fair statement that you have a decade worth of science that was used to determine whether you hunt and how many bears are hunted. Yes, that that's that's what we you know back in in 2012 when that hair snare study was completed. You know, prior to that, I think it it's you know the initial conceptualization of that stuff started in the early to mid 2000s in terms of we knew we had an expanding bear population. What do we need to know to understand what the population is doing? And and what Laura described is a has been a significant investment of agency resources. We've spent, gosh, I don't know, more than two million dollars, I would guess, you know, in totality in terms of and, and and more than a decade in terms of understanding biologically what's occurring with the bear population in the state of Missouri. And then and then now the investment of what do we need to do to continue to monitor the population into the future so that we understand what the implications of an expanding bear population are and what and if you know our, our management decisions in terms of a hunting season have an impact on the population mm -hmm. yeah and and one of the things to think about too with with that range. So we talk about the range and we, you know, we use the estimate of 800. It's an easy round number for folks to just, it's, it's a very easy thing to communicate, right? And there's a range associated with that. So when we were looking at what is a sustainable harvest, how does a sustainable harvest look? We didn't just look at that 800 number. We modeled harvest scenarios based on Arkansas age and sex harvest data to understand what a realistic harvest could look like at various levels across the entire range of that population estimate. So from 600 to 1,000 and used that 
to make an informed decision about what that maximum harvest could be. And that in and of itself was an extremely conservative number, really designed to provide for opportunity, but also maintaining bear population growth. So, so we looked at that, that estimate in totality when making those management decisions. What was the number? 43, right? So the, the total harvest quota was 40 bears divided between the three bear management zones. So okay. that was the other important consideration that was made, recognizing that uh, bear densities differ within the state and we have different pockets of core range and things like that, okay. essentially distributing that harvest so that in any given area, it is still also a sustainable harvest. So if my math is correct, Jason, Correct me here if I'm wrong, if my, my science math isn't correct. 800 estimated population, 40 bears. That's a 5% harvest rate. Um, that's much less than your 9% best available science determination of growth, of, uh, of population growth over time. And it's also, if I remember my science correctly and the, the papers that I have read, is almost a quarter of what scientists deem a sustainable harvest, which is typically between 16 and 20% in a black bear population. How did I do, Laura? You got it. Pretty good. Yeah, Hang on. Yeah. You've got yeah, an opening for nice. a picture just now, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think you're pretty close. And 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 as you indicate, we, there, there are, no doubt, there are unknowns with how successful hunters were going to be what their success rates were going to be. We were very restrictive in some in some utilization of tools uh, that are polarizing. The use okay, of Okay, so let's talk dogs. about those tools. How could you use, how could you hunt a bear in Missouri? So essentially it's a spot and stock or still hunting kind of opportunity in Missouri. We prohibited or did not allow the use of dogs or the use of bait. And so we knew that success rates would probably be pretty low. You know, you're I, I, I think about it, and I, I tell folks it's really like hunting whitetails in October. You know, you're looking for white oak ridge tops, and that's where the bears might be, and, and it's super challenging during that time period. And so we took a very conservative approach, not knowing how successful Isn't our hunters what were going to be. hunting is supposed to be, Jason? Super challenging? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's super challenging, and folks were successful, right? And I think they, they felt a great sense of reward in, in being successful in doing that, and we had a mixture of of hunters successful on public land and private land. And so by, by all measures, a, a super successful season. But all of this built on trying to, to make sure we were conservative in our approach as we understand what it's what kind of effort it's going to take, how long it might take hunters to, to successfully meet that quota, um, as we also gauge what public acceptance of, of a black bear hunting season might look like in Missouri. And so we've We've also correspondingly started a essentially a social science project in which we're we're trying to understand social tolerances across uh, Missouri based on places that kind of have bears now, places that bears are expanding to, so we can answer that really critical question as to what level of a bear population should we try to be managing for, and it may look very different in South Missouri than it does. In, in the edge of the Ozarks that are pushing up against St. Louis. Again, sure. just those places where conflict might occur. And so 
like I mentioned earlier, we, we place high value on using social science to, to inform our decisions because the reality is there's, there's a biological reality and there's a social reality. And how do we best marry those two? How many did, were all 40 bears taken, Laura? I thought I read something like 26 were only nope. taken. So, so we actually had a harvest of 12. And so oh, much right. lower than, than that. that. Yeah. yeah, much lower than that 40 bear total. And, and the one thing, too, that we were really cognizant of as we talked about that harvest quota, that that's not a target harvest. So this was not a management hunt where there were specific population objectives or target harvest objectives. This was really a cap on harvest where if it reaches one of those zone specific harvest quotas, the season shuts off there. And, yeah. and that is that for anybody else that hasn't been successful at that point. So, so that's something that's really important to think about. That's a different way than we harvest a lot of species here well, within the, the way state. To do it, it's the way to, it's the way to do hot carnivores, really. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, it, it is logistically challenging, as we saw in Wisconsin, as it re relates to wolves. Um, let me ask some specifics. How did you guys... How did you, how, what measures did you put in place to ensure, because you didn't issue 40 tags, right? You issued a hundred and something tags. We issued 400 tags. Yep. 400 tags. So how do you ensure that you don't end up with 400 bears 48 sure. hours later? Yeah. So, so in, in the initial conversations associated with the harvest quotas and the permit quotas. So that's an important thing to note too. There actually was a, permit quota. So we capped the number of permits that were sold. We had an application period where folks had to apply for a specific zone. And then once they were drawn, had to purchase that permit. Um, and so with that- How did you come up with 400? Yep. So, so we looked at uh, a variety of states in the Eastern United States and what those hunter success rates look like. And when we look at this type of hunting specifically, so spot and stalk are still hunting, the success rates are generally quite low. And we're talking on the very high end, 12%, gotcha. typically that below that. And so, so in, in taking a conservative approach, and, and as Jason said, not not knowing exactly what hunter success rates are going to look like, we estimated if we had a 40 bear harvest quota in total, hunter success rates were 10%, that would equate to 400 permits in total. And those were divided up between the three bear management zones. Okay. You know, And the thing with bear hunting, even when you allow for the use of bait or dogs, harvest success rates are still relatively low. I mean, you're talking 30%-ish, you know, a, a little bit plus or minus kind of thing, depending on the state that you're looking at. And, and part of the challenge is really that bears live at low densities. They do not occur on the landscape at the same level that other animals do. And they cover really large areas. And during that time of year, they have one thing in mind, and it's food. And mm -hmm. all of their movements are driven by food. And so so, so that was kind of step one. And then the second part of ensuring that we had that sustainable harvest, we required hunters to call in every single morning prior to hunting to determine the status of that zone. So we require any successful hunters to telecheck their bear by 10 p.m. on the night of harvest. I sat there and looked at the telecheck stuff until 10 p.m. Once we hit that 10 p.m. window, 
we had a 1-800 number. I updated that number each night with the harvest level within each zone and the zone status. And we ingrained that in folks through the hunter education classes that we did, mm. through the bear hunting digest. It's written, it was the very first thing you read on your bear hunting permit that you have to call this 1-800 number prior to hunting. And we didn't get to the point where we had to close a zone, sure. uh, but we had those folks checking in nightly to understand whether or not those their zone was still open and then even beyond that we closed the season after 10 days so if a zone harvest quota wasn't met there wasn't an unlimited time out there to be able to participate it so so when we talk about it being a conservative approach there's so many tiers associated with that uh, that really lend to ensuring that harvest stays limited and then the other thing that we need to think about when we're thinking about that 40 bear harvest quota that was divided up between three zones, you know, as we talked about, we set that quota very, very conservatively. So even harvest over quota would still have been sustainable. We just set it even lower to one, ensure sustainability, but also allow for continued population growth. So mm-hmm. so when we look at it, again, there's kind of these multiple buffers associated with that. And then one other component that we didn't end up needing, given that the harvest levels stayed below the threshold, we even included within the regulation that if the harvest reached 80% of the harvest quota, the director could close the season early. So if we got into yeah, a situation a where, say, right, you know, so we, we, so we had a whole lot of control over that harvest over that 10 day window and a lot of measures in place to really make sure that with this season, this was sustainable. And and really, given that it's the first season, and as we talked about, it's really hard to understand what success rates will exactly look like for this bear population and for our hunting public here. Um, we, we put all of those things into effect so that, that it's a manageable system for folks right. that have the opportunity, but it's also very sustainable. And that's something that we'll look at over the course of years to understand really what bear hunting means in Missouri and and how that looks for folks in the state. Jason, last question. Is there, I know the reason, and this is maybe a softball question to you. Was there any consideration of a spring season instead of a fall season? Not really. Uh, You know, not, not really. I think we've always viewed the bear hunting opportunity in Missouri to likely be a fall season. Um, we really spent a bunch of time through the, the den work that had been done through time thinking about when are females accessible, when are they not. You know, for a long time, we've had conversations about, you know, what do we want the size of the bear population to look like? So even very early on, our discussions were, it's still a colonizing and growing population. We know we want a broad distribution. And so Many of the protections, or, or at least the structure of the harvest, had really been about hunting them in the fall and and doing that at a time where we maybe have you know females with cubs already going to the dens, right, and, and minimizing the potential harvest and abandonment that can occur as a result of that, and harvesting a higher proportion of males in the population because they're maybe still out wandering around and haven't gone to the den um, as early. And then I think, you know, culturally around much of the 
the eastern part of the country. It's it's viewed as a fall hunting opportunity, and I think that's when most of short of turkeys, that's when most of our hunters are thinking about sure, getting sure. into the woods. And so we think about them sharing that opportunity with you know deer hunters and and other things, and and that's kind of culturally where we we landed on. Yeah, so let me ask Laura to to maybe a question to you. Is there a so in my brain? A spring bear season, there would be a higher propensity of this idea of a hunter taking a lactating female and leaving cubs, you know, almost abandoned versus in the fall. Is that a fallacy or is that is there some truth to that I sort of hypothesis? You know, that really depends on the structure of the harvest and the tools that are available for hunters during a spring season. But when we think about the fall season, that really is something that's a non-issue. And so you look at the literature and for those for those if you were to harvest a female that had cubs, you know, one of the things that we need to think about, we're calling them cubs. And, and at that point, they're nine months old. They're pushing, you know, 50 to 100 pounds. They're not the picture of the itty bitty bear that you often see associated with that type of the conversation. And we look to all of the states that have bear seasons that have fall bear seasons, that have females make up a component of their harvest, and all of those still have perfectly sustainable and in many areas growing populations. And mm-hmm. so recognizing from that population perspective um, that that in and of itself is a non-issue. But during the education classes, we, we know that that is something that um, people think about and they get concerned about, and it, it is a hot topic of conversation. So, so, so we did require that you could only harvest a lone bear. So you couldn't harvest a bear that was in the presence of another bear. And that would include females with young of the year or those young of the year with her. Um, so that was something that we did put into regulation, uh, recognizing that that is an issue for many people. Oh. Uh, and during our bear hunter classes, and it's we a societal acceptance issue too, right? Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. And so, and even during our bear hunter classes, we had optional classes for folks to take. They were really popular, and we had really high attendance at those. We talked about, you know, here's pictures of a female. Here's what young of the year would look like. Here's the size relative to the adult. Here's how they come in, and, and make a reasonable effort to understand that a bear is by itself, and um, and we really provide that as a component of the education among many, many other things associated with bear hunting, um, and and because it was a regulatory requirement here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Robbie, I think, I, th- I, hope, I hope the folks listening to this, their take-home message is that we were extremely and have been extremely diligent and thoughtful in an attempt to approach this challenge and think about the wide diversity of opinions that, that folks hold about bears and, and carnivores, quite frankly. We were talking about deer management. A lot of these things are the same kinds of po- basic population management issues, but but we just value carnivores and think about them in a much more sensitive way. And so I, I'm, I guess I'm proud of our team for having had the forethought to think through this for a long time make sure that we had the information that with a straight face we could stand before our commission and defend the actions and decisions we've made and and be honest with them that we've given consideration to these wide range of concerns that folks raise about you know harvesting females about the methods of take about the timing and the conflict that occurred with it 
the concerns about over harvest or potentials to, you know, shoot too many or overshoot a quota, those kinds of things while, while we're learning. And, and so, you know, to be honest, I couldn't be more proud of our team for, for putting, putting us in a place where we could, could defend and truly say we have taken a, as best as we can, a science-based approach to managing um, a really important and kind of iconic species in, in Missouri and certainly a part of our, our conservation history. The other part of it that I guess is a little bit of a frustration that I have, and it, it, part of it's a mistrust of government, I think, and a mistrust of science that, that exists today, is that very few, if any, state fish and wildlife agency that is responsible for managing a whole host of species that we harvest have, have driven populations back to the brink of extinction, right? We've, exactly. we've made good, sound decisions, and, and black bear management is, is not the first species we've been managing. And right. managing through harvest and doing successfully, we've been managing deer and turkeys for for the better part of seven or eight decades, right? So we have a great understanding of the information that is needed to really inform the kinds of decisions to ensure we have a sustainable harvest and a sustainable path forward. For sure, and you know, we talk about in in the world of bear management, in particular for black bears they really need to be looked at as a huge conservation success story. I mean, and we're talking about decades worth of conservation and restoration in many areas across the United States. So yes, historically, bears were common and abundant throughout much of the forested parts of North America. Their range has contracted due to habitat changes and unregulated harvest in the 1800s and very early 1900s. But the fact of the matter is when you look at the range of black bear across the country and the populations of these various, within these various states, you know, many areas are increasing, most are stable to increasing, they occur throughout a wide swath of the country. Mm -hmm. And in many areas, they're managed successfully and sustainably as a valuable game species. And that is really huge. When you think about how many folks historically had viewed black bears, even uh, a carnivore that was a danger to humans and a danger right. to livestock and, and things like that. And so even the shifting perceptions with that, I mean, there's still that view, but from some people, but, but really looking at this over the course of the last 50 to 75 years, bear management in general is really one of those major success stories that I don't think gets the attention that it it deserves. But, you know, when you talk about it in these specific situations here in Missouri and other states, like holistically speaking, it's an amazing, it's an amazing 100%. story. Absolutely. You're, you're nailing it on the head. And I couldn't think of a better way to sort of put an exclamation point on this podcast and the things that you guys have done. As I was talking, as I was telling Jason before we got on the air, um, let's be honest commissions, state departments of wildlife and fisheries and game across the country, as well as academicians, are horrible storytellers. We're horrible at padding our own successes. And that is what Blood Origins was built for. Blood Origins was built to showcase the successes of what you guys have done. And you guys have done a yeoman's effort. And it's certainly backed up by a good decade's worth of science and the best available science. We all know that science is, is not infallible and that there is always more science and always more things to learn, but you can't let that stop uh, understanding how to manage your resources. So, Laura, 
exceptional. Absolutely, you, Jason, you've got one of the best bear biologists that is now being promoted. I guess that's a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, Laura and Jason, thank you so much. Jason, thank you for reaching out. And um, as I said to you guys in the beginning, if there's anything we can do for you guys, you know where to find us. Sounds yeah, good. thanks, thank Riley. You. Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate the work you guys do. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.